So I'd like to start off with uh, an advertisement here. It's called Save Nothing. I am pleased to announce that several meditation teachers and yogis have joined together to form a new environmental organization called the Friends of the Void. <laughs> this group is dedicated to, to the preservation of the void in its natural and undefiled state. Members of this organization have pledged to work to keep the void free from any feelings, thoughts, matters, concepts, <laughs> and condominiums. <laughs> the Friends of the Void has begun its conservation efforts with a public campaign called centered around the slogans, Keep the Void Empty, Nothing is Perfect. <laughs> the Void is to be enjoyed. For more information or to join, just empty your mind. Your contributions and suggestions will be warmly rejected. <laughs> Send nothing and get nothing in return. <laughs> mm. So uh, this afternoon, uh, I decided I would uh, work on the talk, but instead I wrote you a poem. Uh, so we have to see where this all goes and what happens. But uh, it's called Ready or Not. I think you can get the gist of this. <laughs> Sitting on the bench, meditation hall in the fog. The path winding down, down past the dining hall, stretching out towards the world. Sitting in remedial fear of the world, kicked out of solitude, the madness of my own life. How can the sensitive be translated? How do these sweaty palms find a home? Breathing, touching my own hand, knowing somewhere deep down that touch is always available touching my own hand, knowing somewhere deep down that touch is always available. No out there, in here. Stepping out into the world, so consumed by itself. Standing, feeling body, small shivers, as the beckoning and fear rise together. Can you ever be ready? Step back into life you so have carefully crafted out of all the old wounds and successes. Is it possible to stand in the center, unmoved by the tides of change, awake, collected, heart listening all to the subtle clues? Why not today? Awake at ease, remembering, remembering the monastery bell, how it rang, yet left no trace, ready, yes, ready. So we come to this uh, final evening of uh, 
practice and um, this willingness to kind of honor where we are and where we're going. Uh, this capacity to uh, kind of touch in ourselves. Uh, uh, this sense of um, change or loss. You know. uh, today after, uh, well, I guess it was about lunchtime, I was uh, uh, just kind of the last interviews and stuff. I started to have this uh, little feeling in my stomach and uh, something I recognized. And it was something about uh, this path leading down uh, into the world and that somehow uh, we were all getting ready to uh, wander down that path into this uh, sea of our lives. And I got this knot in my stomach and um, at first it was that practice of you know, just first of all it was just this contraction and recognizing it. And I realized it was fear. You know. And um, fear, you know, a lot of times I was thinking, oh, what I usually don't get this. What is this, you know? And it was the fear of change, you know, that uh, whatever this is, uh, is not going to be here. And that um, on some uh, reality that uh, there's a vulnerability uh, in this work that we come and we sit and uh, we kind of bring all of our uh, garbage all of the stuff in the closet that we've been storing up for who knows how long and you know you got to take it out and we tell you just watch your breath but you know we know better <laughs> you know you kind of take it out and you kind of you know kind of pick through it you know <laughs> and then the next thing you know you know you've kind of you kind of, you know, this obsessive compulsive mind uh, kind of grabs a hold of certain pieces and, and begins to turn us, kind of turn us inside out and uh, twist us on some level, you know. Uh, why? You know, what, what's happening here? You know. It's just cleaning out the closet. That's all it is. We're just cleaning out the closet. Uh, the closet, when somewhat it gets uh, clean, um, we can turn and kind of, in a sense, uh, uh, face our lives without as much, uh, what, uh, the hidden stuff in the closet. And kind of be ready for that capacity to, and sometimes it's excitement, sometimes it's fear. And for me today, there was some kind of fear based in it. But sometimes it's excitement, you know, I just, I just need that latte, you know, and that will, <laughs> you know, then I'll be satisfied. You know. I was thinking, though, this fear today as I was getting ready to uh, kind of sort of think about, uh, well, I ended up writing the poem, but uh, it brought me back to uh, a time when... Um, 
I remember um, where I would have this uh, knot in my stomach and uh, sort of say, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to enter the world." You know, could I stay? You know, is it okay to stay here? I was thinking back in my um, my twenties, probably the till I was thirty, I probably spent at least uh, two years in retreat, and um, you know, in the late sixties, sort of, I was thinking. Gil had mentioned Manindra, and I lived with Manindra, and then with Kalu Rinpoche. You remember all these uh, teachers, and I thought, you know, somehow, uh, I think sometimes I thought I'd learned something, you know, and I had. Um, in the summers, I would go up and live in this valley, and uh, this Kulu Valley, and uh, I had found a, a cave up at about 11,000 feet, probably, or somewhere around that. And I would go up there, and it was a, a cave that uh, faced east, and it was all these pine trees and then the, the Himalayas. And it was used by herders, so it had a sort of fire pit and then a kind of all smoked roof, you know. And I would sit in the morning and I could take enough food up for usually a week, seven days or so, and, and then I could go out and kind of pick nettles and thyme and wild onions and garlic. and It was uh, remarkable uh, what you can uh, find. And wild mushrooms that the kids had taught me uh, what was edible and not edible. And um, I would sit in the morning and uh, over these white, these peaks, uh, would come the sun, you know. And I found that somehow there was such a sense of peace and um, stability uh, in my practice. And at that time, I'd sort of been through, what, uh, um, been a monk in the Hindu tradition uh, in the... Uh, I'd been a novice monk in the Tibetan tradition. I, you know, I was just, just an old hippie, you know, and <laughs> who got lost in India for nine years, you know. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had a top knot in those days, so I had my hair up on top of my head. And, and um, I realized I had to leave, you know, and I made this kind of trip that I had to go see and my father, and who I hadn't seen for many, many years. And he was a kind of abusive alcoholic, and uh, I was uh, afraid uh, to actually uh, see him. And I remember going down, and my friend, uh, Sultan Malion, who lived across, went and we got shears and cut my hair off and, you know, uh, cut it short, and I uh, had a little, the suit made to, so I could go and look like, you know, a presentable. You know, I took off my skirt and, you know, and... <laughs> and uh, uh, um, you know, gave up my purse. I didn't actually give up my purse, but anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, but not when I saw him. So I went back, I, I was going back to the States, and I got the same knot in my stomach as I kind of came down the mountain, and I had, I think it was 14 hours by bus to New Delhi and then uh, fly on, you know. And it was this thing of uh, this, uh, from the stillness, uh, this path that kind of enters the world and uh, the complexity of what we uh, live in 
and all the kind of feelings and, and uh, um, the kind of assault on the senses that come. You know. I haven't figured all this out. Okay, I don't know if it's figurable out. But the Buddha was clear that there was this is this maga, this path, that there was a way uh, that we could uh, step into our lives uh, that would have some way of uh, translating uh, this uh, practice, uh, these teachings. And he talked about them as the this. Uh, uh, Shard had mentioned last night the Four Noble Truths, the uh, Eightfold Noble Path. And there was simply, in this case, uh, kind of a prescription that would allow us, in some ways, uh, to find some sanity uh, of uh, stepping into the world and being able to hold ourselves uh, in a way that uh, supported uh, this simplicity, this uh, uh, this practice of the uncomplicated, you know, in a very complex society. I'd like to read to you another of these David White poems, and I read it this afternoon, and I thought, you know, I was thinking about how, uh, oh, I was imagining this road going down and going into the bay and, and this uh, mass water and uh, the sea and the ocean and um, how vast, uh, how vast it is. You know. And so I'd like to read this. It's called The Sea. The pull is so strong, we will not believe the drawing tide is meant for us. I mean the gift, the sea, the place where all the rivers meet. Easy to forget how the great receiving depth, untamed by what we need, needs only what will flow in its way. Easy to feel so far away and the body so old it might not even stand the touch. But what would that be like feeling the tide rise out of the numbness inside toward the place to which we go, washed over our worries of money, the illusion of being ahead, the grief of being behind, our limbs young, rising from such a depth. Rising from such a depth. So we prepare to step out. And stepping out, there has to be, in some sense, they talk about this eight noble path, this uh, eightfold noble path. Uh, is this practice is, uh, um, you could take this, uh, they, if you see the wheel of Dharma, it's this eight spoked wheel. And that actually anywhere uh, you can begin. Uh, there isn't one place. Uh, all of it uh, is workable, starting from any point. And they talk about it as the uh, this uh, wheel, uh, and it's 
uh, basis is that there is, um, and I'll play with it and go through it, and um, many of you probably have explored it or heard it. And it's this uh, practice of um, of exploring each of these uh, in some way in our lives. You know, uh, the first one is is called the the uh, wise view or wise understanding, and then there is um, a wise um, intention or thought, and then speech and action and a livelihood and effort and concentration and mindfulness. And so I'd like to just uh, play with these, explore them on some level with you. And traditionally it starts out with the fact that uh, we come to this practice, uh, that we have to start somewhere. And uh, traditionally I always see it as the beginning and the end, and you could say it's the perfection of view. Uh, that uh, we come to refine uh, our view uh, so that in some manner uh, we can uh, recognize uh, the kind of wisdom in uh, who we are and how it works. <coughs> and this great quote from uh, Sri Nisargadatta, uh, the great kind of... Uh, non-dual Bidiwala of Bombay. And he had uh, these lines that always have been uh, sort of like a mantra for me in the sense of uh, the kind of uh, this perfection of you. And it goes, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And somewhere between the two, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And somewhere between the two, my life flows. So a lot of times when I uh, um, explore this, um, investigate this, this wise uh, view, this wise understanding. I, I think of it as uh, what is known as the two truths. And one, uh, the truth says that uh, there is uh, the absolute, uh, that that um, that looks at the appearance of things. You know, uh, what we see here, what we hear, uh, what we get caught up in. You know, uh, that ultimately uh, there is uh, the truth that uh, it arises and passes in such a, a rapid succession uh, that uh, the appearance uh, is actually uh, not anything. It is something that uh, the, this ability to let go and see that somehow um, we have the power. Uh, we have the power to let go completely. 
uh, and kind of rest in the suchness or what is, you know, a mind that's uh, free of any um, dualism. And it is available to us. Uh, it's not something that we don't know. Uh, it is always, in essence, uh, when letting go happens, uh, it's there. On the other side of that is the fact that we uh, live in a relative world, and we could say that that absolute really has emptiness and is so much based on wisdom. And the relative world is the world that is based on what? You know, friction. You know, uh, the hum, the buzz, the contact, the what uh, the Buddha simply uh, noted as samsara. And that samsara has uh, uh, inevitable consequences, which he referred to as the two arrows. Uh, one of them was the fact that uh, you have this body, and it's all in this rush and river of time. You know, there's not a thing you can do about that. It is simply moving in one direction. You know, some unknown place that uh, this, uh, maybe this turn in the river and there's this waterfall. And what you know will end. Who you are will end. But in that is also our humanness, the relative world, uh, this world that says that uh, you are everything. There has never been anybody like you in all the mathematics of the universe that has come together for this moment, this uniqueness, uh, this um, dance of life. Uh, that recognizes this truth of the this first arrow that there's nothing you can stop, you know. And that, but we also have choice in it, how we relate to it, and that we can create our suffering, and we can also be free of it. The Buddha says. You know. um, but in that, in that relative reality, in the fact that even though we have the capacity uh, to choose, in a sense, uh, to free uh, ourselves uh, from a lot of the psychological uh, pain of, uh, of being here, uh, we, can't, we can't get rid of the first arrow. It is a part of the truth of being born. And because of that, uh, this is your humanness. And your humanness says, uh, in essence, that um, uh, we're not separate here. You and I, uh, we actually are going to go through the same portal, the same doorway. Uh, I could be, uh, you know, free of one arrow. not free of the other. And therefore, 
we're all in this together in that way. And it has to do, in essence, with uh, our capacity to understand that uh, love says I'm everything. You know, so we have to hold these worlds, this kind of view of uh, not getting lost in the emptiness of things and not falling into the drama uh, of the complexity of uh, being a human being and the results of that. This is from the Sutta Nipata. Do not form views in the world through either knowledge, virtuous conduct, or religious observations. Likewise, avoid thinking of oneself as being either superior, inferior, or equal to others. The wise let go of the self in being free of the attachment they depend not on knowledge, nor do they dispute opinions or settle into any view. For those who have no wishes for either extremes of becoming or non-becoming, here or another existence, there is no settling into the views held by others. Nor do they form the least notion in regard to views seen, heard, or thought out. How could one influence those wise ones who do not grasp at any views? So this perfection of view is actually this uh, practice of um, you know, not creating more mental constructs, which we have spoken of so clearly. Uh, these uh, last few nights. Uh, living in a relative world, uh, working uh, with the complexity that uh, at the same time in this wheel there is uh, what is known as wise intention, or also sometimes spoken of as wise thought. And when one understands, in the sense that uh, this, uh, the truth that uh, we let go of the mental constructs and this, these ideas of who we are and how it all works on some level, uh, we also then began uh, this process uh, of looking at how are we going to take this, uh, what we've seen, what we've worked with uh, in this practice of, of uh, what untangling the tangles, uh, taking the stuff out of the closet and laying it out and making uh, some kind of uh, sometimes amends, sometimes um, uh, the practice of um, 
of simplifying, you know, when it's untangled, it no longer has a charge on it. Uh, and hopefully uh, this practice uh, is based on ultimately um, lessening or diminishing those charges. And we see that that's somehow important. So we begin to recognize, well, we can have this clear intention uh, in a relative sense of going into the world and hopefully taking what we've seen and experienced uh, this practice of insight in some way that we can uh, kind of get rid of some of the luggage and not, what, create more luggage, you know, and that that is a, um, uh, there has to be a continuity of intention, you know. Uh, I like the whole, we've been using some words here that I think are um, (coughs) helpful for this, and it has to do with uh, the word simple. Uh, Uncomplicated. Uh, The word ease. This word uh, relaxation. Uh, Somehow, uh, if you find uh, that you're creating more struggle, and you find yourself nodding up more. Uh, is this right? Is that what you learned? No. So you have to ask these questions and then uh, create this, in a sense, this direction, this intention for uh, where you're going with all this. No. They, I like the, uh, they also uh, talk about it not only as intention, as thought itself. And thought is um, somehow the, um, put these. Uh, the precursor, uh, once we have a kind of proper view of where we're going and what's going on, uh, is the precursor of uh, your actions. You know, so the idea here is you've seen on some level how powerful uh, this uh, thought process is and how it can uh, create such complexity and difficulty uh, in kind of the story of ourselves and our history and our lives. This is uh, actually from Mahagosananda, but it's also taken from the, the Buddha. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into a habit. The habit hardens into a character. The character gives birth to the destiny. So watch your thoughts. <laughs> you know? 
so once uh, we, in a sense, uh, kind of see the intentions and the subtleties of how we've been in here, how this works, then we have to begin to translate it, uh, take it out into uh, the world that uh, uh, we operate in. Uh, this is a very uh, specialized world uh, that hopefully teaches us about the heart and teaches us about thought and teaches about uh, uh, this uh, these view of what correct view is and, and, and what uh, proper intention is. But then we have to take it into our world, uh, into um, uh, this first, or these... Um, these manifestations uh, of the view and the intention and the thought. And uh, the first is, the, is uh, really the power of speech. You know, uh, something that uh, we suspend here. And sometimes I think, well, we don't actually suspend it. Uh, what we do is we cut off the outside so it gets really noisy on the inside. <laughs> you know. But, you know, then it's just you. And what... Uh, uh, there's no... Uh, what? Uh, response or reflection there is just you looking at your own uh, thoughts. But uh, when we move into the world, we begin to recognize that uh, there is this uh, great skill that's available to human beings that is our capacity to uh, be able to uh, translate uh, the concepts from uh, our hearts and our bodies and our minds uh, into speech. One of the tricks here, I think, is that the practice itself is actually asking more than speech in some way. It's actually asking, can you get under your language? No. What's under there? What, um, what is moving in you? What's flowing underneath this? No. And that that, if we can connect with that, and that's why we talk about the body and this capacity to know the heart, so that we can begin to recognize that the speech is based simply on intention. Again, back to that. You know. And once we recognize that and we can find um, what is it uh, that you would like out of that. The Buddha simply gave uh, these sort of five reflections on wise uh, speech. Uh, which were questions to ask uh, in speech. You know, uh, is it true? Uh, is it helpful? You know, is it kind? You know, is it not negative, gossip or uh, backbiting or uh, harsh speech? And is it timely? 
you know. So these are the five kind of um, reflections that we need when the intention is proper uh, to use our speech wisely and recognizes that it has the power to uh, awaken and has the power to destroy. So uh, to, to really, uh, in a sense, uh, know where it's coming from. and try, in some sense, to go to the kind of uh, deepest place. And that's not always possible, but if we can, at the same time, uh, especially in the kind of busyness of our lives, and um, uh, what I find most helpful for me is to actually keep the mind and the body you know, uh, you will have a chance tomorrow to work with this. And it is uh, certainly uh, a challenge because of the old habits and so easily to get caught in the kind of stream of, of um, uh, consciousness of how it works. But I would like to emphasize again that uh, if there is some way that you can uh, self-reference by staying connected to the body as you speak and learn on some way uh, to reference that. It uh, has been extremely helpful uh, in my um, my willingness to kind of stay under the words and stay with uh, this capacity to stay connected to the intention itself. <coughs> the um, next of these is uh, simply the fact that um, when uh, we're in the world and uh, we have this uh, power of speech, uh, we also have the result of uh, what is known as action. So there's a thought, sometimes there's speech, and then there's action. And action, uh, again, if we can hold it in some way, that it's really based on uh, these precepts, based on the truth of non-harming. If we can hold that as uh, something that gives us permission to uh, step uh, into our world uh, with this ability to remember that that's really what it's about and the sense of uh, this, uh, the truth of the preciousness of just life itself. You know, I was thinking I had this little spider in my room that kept running around, and we had this sort of conversation going. And then I also had this fly that's been there the whole time, and you know, <laughs> and um, I don't know. I, I got to really like the fly. I'm not sure about the spider. <laughs> you know, 
he didn't land on me or anything. He just sort of, uh, you know, would buzz around and sit somewhere for a while. And, and, um, and what a precious thing, because it's not usually what we do. You know, there is this thing about, oh, annoying, you know. And the whole thing of being here is, is getting that sensitivity, you know, uh, that uh, vulnerability uh, to uh, life. You know, this afternoon I went out between, uh, this was, uh, maybe it was this morning, I can't remember. Um, and there's a turkey that has uh, uh, one leg. And uh, this turkey always kind of hangs out close by, you know. And he was standing out there on this one leg. And he was so, I mean, it was so magnificent. I thought, how can you stand that long on one leg? You know, I was thinking of kind of the yogis of, uh, uh, you know, of India sitting in the, standing in the river with uh, kind of one leg and one arm up. And I was going, wow, uh, this guy's going to come back, you know, uh, <laughs> being here, you know, as a great yogi, you know. And I, I noticed there were other yogis that were kind of all uh, observing uh, this, uh, the kind of, uh, what, the, I guess it's kind of miraculous in some way, and, but the stillness was remarkable. Precious, you know, the, it's so great to see how the deer here who have been uh, watching us and being with us for years, you know, how the mothers uh, train their young to know that it's safe here. I think sometimes the little birds, the the uh, uh, the uh, lizards, pretty much everything here knows what not harming and, and feeling safe is about. You know, it's really uh, quite uh, quite unusual. But it's and we can take this this recognizing this kind of preciousness and uh, somehow uh, hold it as this non-harming in our lives, you know. And they talk about just uh, not taking what is not given, you know, simple, you know. Uh, not harming others with, uh, you know, our sexuality. Or, uh, again, being wise and careful with our speech. And uh, in a culture that you know, uh, has so, so much. Uh, there's also a culture of escape here with drugs and alcohol, you know. And that somehow we have to find a stand in all this that's about our actions, about how we hold ourselves in the world, you know. How do we make it safe for ourselves and others? And that's really what this wise action is about. Uh, the third uh, of these uh, ones that really deal with uh, the uh, world in a lot of ways uh, has to do with, uh, the, it simply is called livelihood. You know. I was thinking, well, uh, I, I didn't really understand why that was put in there in some ways, but I realized how much time uh, do human beings spend at their jobs? You 
a lot. You know? And it's all about this exchange and this, again, this capacity to find out that uh, it's pretty simple, you know, uh, that circle in some ways. And that, uh, again, of course, there's unskillful means, you know, uh, weaponry and stuff like that. But uh, there's this piece around um, seeing the value of the circle, you know, and that that circle uh, is on some level, uh, whatever it is, uh, that it has value in the sense of it serves. And so it's really uh, how we hold what it is that we do. And that can we hold it uh, and see it in that fashion uh, so that it uh, complements or parallels our intention and what we uh, see as uh, our values. So the next three are this effort and concentration and mindfulness. You have spent a lot of time sitting and walking and it behooves you to uh, take this practice and experiment with it in your life from day to day. And I like always to say, well, if you don't have a practice, then uh, take a resolve that, okay, for the next uh, seven days, uh, in, if you like the morning to get up and uh, for those seven days, bite-size it and say, okay, for seven days, I'm going to get up and I'm going to sit every morning. In a way, it's honoring, in a sense, uh, your past and what you've done here. In uh, some way, again, of uh, holding the value of what's here. You know, and in seven days, if you want to do it again, that's great. Uh, I like... Um, where uh, you have a little book by where you sit, and it's always important, I think, to have a uh, kind of a, a sacred, just like the, this temple, is some sacred place uh, that you infuse, just like uh, we have infused this room uh, with the power uh, of uh, the intention. of this practice. It's nice to have a little notebook and uh, I like a lot of times just that they're really, the aspect of practice for me is really in three, three parts. Uh, there is first that uh, there's the preparation. And a lot of times preparation for me is just, you know, sometimes it's, it's um, these two truths that, you know, oh, there is uh, this freedom, this, the absolute, uh, that it exists. And I would like to uh, reflect or honor that uh, in practice. You know? uh, 
or it can be uh, also the fact that uh, this is all impermanent. You know, things arise and pass away, and I can reflect on the nature of that impermanence as a way to begin practice. There's also the fact that, you know, uh, it may be that uh, yourself or someone in your family or around you is having a hard time. So we can reflect on the uh, difficulty or the dukkha or the suffering that uh, is part of what's here. The preciousness, you know, the preciousness of this life, this body, you know, uh, just holding that uh, in some way that uh, brings uh, some sense of intention for our sitting. And some days, you know, it's like all I can do is count my breath. You know, my mind's busy, I can't hold anything. So I just count my breath. Other times uh, I sit down and I kind of reflect on my uh, my intention for this, for this day, for this practice. And uh, I'm just here, you know, simple. Uh, this recognition of the kind of the brightness uh, of uh, looking at mind, uh, the simplicity of uh, what is it that knows, kind of there with the knowing. Uh, other times, uh, you know, uh, there's the storm of thoughts, uh, but they don't bother too much. Other times they're uh, like today, this piece where I could feel in my stomach you know, this contraction. And it was really this simplicity of, of just naming what it was. Oh, I'm afraid. You know. And that uh, that capacity simply to hang out with that. Enough, you know. So there's the practice. And then I always see that uh, somehow some gift has been given to me by that practice, by that sitting. Some boon. You know, and it's good for this third part of it is actually to acknowledge that there was something that uh, uh, was, uh, in a sense, um, creative or positive in uh, this practice. You know, so these are kind of three aspects I hope that uh, can help you in some way. Uh, I always like to write this. You know, sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't, but write one sentence about the boon or the gift. You know, helps with the continuity. Just a very simple thing, just a little teeny book and just, you know, one sentence. You know, uh, but really reflects the, the gift of uh, your doing this, of uh, initiating it in your life in some way. Yeah. Efforts. A big deal in this, by the way. You know, so much of being here, I think, is is that there's already a collective effort that's here, 
and this collective effort is uh, there's great support. Yeah. But when you leave here, you're on your own in that way. You know, you are. So you have to, I know I'm fairly, I'm not the greatest disciplined person in the world, so I have to create kind of a structure so that I can make this work for myself. And I really encourage you, this thing about the gift or the boon or, uh, uh, you know, what what do you get in a sense of, uh, sometimes at the end of sitting, uh, you know, there's just this sense of brightness or lightness, you know, uh, or other times it's just, um, you know, a sense like, oh, I'm enough just the way I am. I don't have to be something else. You know, it's okay. You know. That effort um, coming here sitting groups where somehow you get the support from others is important, you know. And um, some of you may be in places where that doesn't happen. Uh, but if you can, it's helpful. And coming to retreats, it's been such a great um, gift all my life. You know. We are really fortunate to have the opportunity uh, to be able to kind of, uh, break away from the complexity and kind of rest in this simplicity and allow ourselves to touch and be touched and listen uh, and bring some, hopefully some understanding of how this, in some ways, how this all operates. And the concentration itself, I, I like the word collecting, which has been used here. Yeah. That um, uh, This is all built around that. There is really, first of all, just taking the posture itself you know, to sit down, uh, it's based on the body and tranquility. So the concentration is first based on that tranquility. And so sometimes it may be a park bench. Sometimes, you know, it may be uh, in your office with your computer. It may be wherever, where you simply stop and recognize that uh, the body has to stop and that there's a capacity when it stops to feel this tranquility. And that tranquility then supports the collecting. Uh, that practice of uh, really what I see as a kind of calm abiding here of, of taking in uh, uh, repetition in the mind in the collecting. You know, uh, it can be uh, the metaphrases, uh, it can be just the breath. As I say, sometimes I just count my breath. You know. uh, but it is there to collect myself. Collect myself so 
then I can use this collecting uh, to apply it, uh, to apply it in some way that begins to see uh, the, uh, this, the uncomplicated, you know, uh, to see kind of uh, that there is in me this basic intelligence that if I stop and I uh, rest, and I allow everything, the chaos, in a sense, to settle. You know, then it's just like uh, I think Gil used that terminology of the kind of muddy pond. We don't want to stir it up. We want to take the stick out of the pond and hold it. That's the discipline here: is just to hold it out of the pond and let it settle, settle on its own. But you need time for that. You, know, uh, you have to give it time. I had a uh, teacher, Paul Reps. Uh, he was a great kind of poet and Zen uh, uh, wonder child. And uh, he say, "Oh, do the one-minute meditation. You know, just the one-minute meditation." And it was really the capacity that we have again—that tranquility and the ability uh, to stop. You no. Know, uh, and in that stopping is this capacity to listen. And to listen is actually the capacity uh, to be informed, to touch this, you know, uh, this intelligence. We've spoken a lot about mindfulness, but I would like to just a couple minutes here to kind of complete here. Mindfulness is just this uh, ability to uh, connect uh, with the present. Yeah. But it also has an intelligence in it. Uh, they talk about it, this word sampapajana, this clear comprehension. So it has a clear comprehension of kind of purpose. It has clear comprehension of its ability to, um, to adapt to whatever is happening. You know, it's this uh, uh, pliability uh, that doesn't need a whole lot of thinking or analyzing or anything else. It's this natural movement uh, that understands. And it also has the capacity, this uh, mindfulness, to uh, remember the present. You know, talk about it as a, the clear comprehension of meditation, but just kind of remembering this presence. You know? And it also understands, uh, the language is uh, uh, clear comprehension of reality, you know? uh, which again goes back to that capacity to uh, see the uh, the river, this flow, uh, flux of experience, uh, the constructs of the mind, uh, and the contractions of the heart, and the play uh, of uh, the body. We can start anywhere with this. 
You know, sometimes it has to be just uh, in livelihood that uh, we have to uh, sit and investigate uh, how we operate in that. And uh, what's underneath, what's deeper about how uh, we can hold that. So I'll, I think I'll end here. I could go on and on and on. One of my teachers, Menindra, used to sit here and he could talk for two and a half hours, you know. So be happy. <laughs> uh, this, I'll end with this uh, poem. It's called The Journey. Above the mountains, the geese turn into the light again, painting their black silhouettes on an open sky. Sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens. So you can find the one line already written inside you. Sometimes it takes a great sky to find that first bright, indescribable wedge of freedom in your own heart. Sometimes with the bones of the black sticks left when the fire has gone out. Someone has written something new in the ashes of your life. You are not leaving, you are arriving. You are not leaving, you are arriving. Just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.